The Athletic. Well, hello and welcome to yet another of our Formula E off-season specials. As ever, we've got a very special guest with us and today, uh, making his debut on our podcast, we've got Scott Swid, who is the general partner and managing owner of the Monaco Sports Group, which owns the Maserati MSG Racing Formula E team. He's, of course, joined as ever by our roving Formula E reporter, Sam Smith. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate being here. So, um... A bit of a, I mean, obvious point to start with. It's been your first full year in the series. Um, what did you uh, see that made you want to invest in Formula E and with that team in particular? Uh, yeah, this will be our fourth season. Um, and I was in the investment management business for many, many years. And in the investment management business, you do one of the things you do when you're looking to find uh you know, investments and, and try and create an edge. You just read a lot and you read reports that other people have written and you share ideas and you hear ideas through uh, relationships and, and communities. And I read a report, this was uh, years ago on uh, Formula One, which I'm, I'm an American and I'm a, a sports enthusiast. I played a lot of sports. I, I, I watch a lot of sports. Um, although less, I watch less sports every year, but I, um, I, uh, I keep up on a lot of sports. Motorsports is not one of them. Um, but I read this report, a very initial report right after Liberty media had bought their controlling stake in, um, formula one and they, uh, spun it out as what's called a tracking stock. Um, and I'd read the report on formula one and it sounded really interesting. Um, Formula One didn't really sound interesting. What sounded interesting to me was sort of how poorly managed it had been for so many years, or I shouldn't say poorly, but sort of unprofessionally managed and um, and managed sort of for that year's cash flow without a lot of strategic vision uh, behind it and r- racing to, to come up with um, – rewards for people who would stay in the in the series and um and i thought liberty just sort of approached it at least what this report said as a as a business prospect and and um and they paid whatever whatever they paid six billion seven billion i forgot what they paid eight billion um they obviously needed to make a big return on this so i was more interested in what they were going to do and we have models uh and again, I, I, different from everyone else in our ecosystem or most people in our ecosystem, uh, when I talk sports, I usually use U.S. Uh, sports examples. So it might not go well with, uh, with our audience here. But when good management takes over what I call the league or what, what, um, what we would call here the series, the championship series, um, the teams become incredibly valuable. Uh, we saw that in the mid eighties when a guy named David Stern took over, uh, as, as the CEO of the national basketball association. Um, and we saw that really in the sixties when the guy named Pete Rozelle took over what, what, what we call uh, football or the NFL American football. And those two sports, American football by and far, by far much bigger than, than the NBA, but those are the two biggest sports in America by far, and and the teams are worth um, billions and billions and billions of dollars. Um, so it seemed like instead of buying a, a stock in Liberty tracking stock of Formula One, I should go look at a team because if they're managed right, the teams become the most valuable. And through that process, as you guys know, you're you're more aware of all this than than I am that it's a pretty small community. And once I kind of got in sniffing around the community, um, Alejandro Gog is someone I've known for many, many years. Alejandro called me up and basically said, you know, forget about Formula One. I got the team for you in Formula E. And uh, it was it was December of 2019. And my daughter was studying in London in February of 2019 
in 20, uh, no, it, it was studying 1920 that, that, that school year in London. And I was, had a plan to visit her in February of 20 and I, right before COVID. And I said, um, all right, Alejandro, just tell them I'll come visit them in February when I, when I go over to Europe. Um, oh, the team was in Monaco and, uh, and Alejandro who's, uh, you know, I don't know if this now, you know, I, we all know Alejandro, so I don't know if this is true or if this is just, uh, his salesmanship, but he said, no, you got to get there tomorrow. They're, they're, um, they're about to sell this to someone else. <laughs> so yeah. I was in Los Angeles at the time and I flew, uh, Paris to, um, and got the connector to Nice and, uh, got picked up by the team at the airport and drove to the hotel de Paris and had lunch and, uh, with Susie Wolf, um, and Susie, I, I, um, and I just talked for two, three, it was a very you know, three hours or so. We, we talked about a lot and, um, you know, I, I, I knew close to nothing about, Formula E and I knew close to nothing about Formula One, but I, I knew enough about the way companies work um, and the way industries work. And, and so we sort of talked more from the top level about, about the industry and about FE and about F1 and a lot. And, and we, we seemed to get along very well. And um, uh, then COVID hit a couple months later. And by one year later, by December of 2020, uh, we bought the team from Susie and Gildo. Susie Wolf and, uh, and Gildo Pastor. Um, and it was called uh, Venturi Grand Prix was the name of the company we bought. And uh, the team was called Rocket Venturi at that point. So your uh, analysis of uh, what Liberty would do to the Formula One teams was spot on. I mean, they've, they've got billion dollar plus valuations now. Um, has, how has your knowledge and understanding of the motorsport space in Formula E developed over those uh, past three years, three or four years, wherever we are now? Um, yeah, so you're saying I made I made the wrong choice. Thanks, Andrew. These things are judged yeah. by the outcome at the end, aren't they? Uh, not, not necessarily where we are now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Formula One, uh, you know, it, it's it's a little bit of luck, um, but it's mostly strategy. I mean, they got Drive to Survive helped a lot, but but the cost cap was incredibly valuable to Formula One, like incredibly value uh, valuable to Formula One. We don't need to. To, I'm sure your audience understands that um, they they stuck to ten teams. Um, they they raised the price dramatically for an eleventh team, and obviously, even if someone pays that price, I don't think anyone wants an eleventh team in there. We'll see, um, you know, in the next in the next you know year or so. Uh, but all that creates massive value, and 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 they did more revenue share um, with the profit with the profit sharing. There were there were there were teams, as you know, special teams that had special deals with Ecclestone and 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 carried over to CBC. Uh, all none of that exists anymore. Um, it's a level playing field, and that uh, they did every everything that that uh, everything that should make it a better sport and more competitive. The flip side is it's it's not a better sport and it's not competitive at all. Um, you know, one guy just won. 95% of the races or, or whatever the math is. Um, so we're, we have, we're, we're the sport. I mean, our sport, our sport is, is, uh, you know, from the sporting side it is fabulous. Uh, it's, uh, we have great racers, great drivers, great races. Um, I think the problem is that I don't think we've gotten enough support from the ownership group. I mean, I think that they we're, we're at a different life cycle that, 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 that formula one's a series has been around a long time and plays with more money in their sandbox. We don't have as much money in our sandbox. So revenue sharing is not going to be that significant. I mean, the revenue sharing has gone up a little bit. I know they don't use the term revenue sharing, but essentially um, the prize money is, is a, is a kind of, um, uh, another form of, of, of revenue sharing, it, you know, it's gone up a little bit. So it shows that their eye is on that. Um, I really think we, what they have to do is they have to really invest in television um, uh, or uh, television might be an antiquated word. They have to invest in, in video eyeballs or whatever the, the broadcasting marketing term is it today, you know, broadcasting, streaming, um, whatever, whatever it is, live action viewing. 
um, is, is what the series needs. And I think our two owners, our two major owners, one of them, and this is all public knowledge, you could go, you know, they're all public companies and you can go on their quarterly reports um, and, and their conference calls. But uh, when Discovery bought Warner, they had $30 billion of, of debt, I think, and they've been hyper-focused on paying that debt down. So we're a series that needs capital in, uh, in, to, to help us grow to where we should be. And one of our major owners uh, you know, w- wasn't really prepared to do that at that time. I think right now, I don't know. What, what, I'm not in the board. And, and we're also a um, you know, we're a company that doesn't report to the owners. They, you know, we have our own uh, formula. E has its own board that they've never invited me to any of the meetings. So I don't know what goes on in that board. But what I would hope is that they see that that there's a great product, um, but they have to invest in people seeing it. Um, and I think it, it, when you look at the history of FE, I think in the beginning, the early first five, six, seven years. Um, I think that we had a lot of good sponsors and television and everything like that when the product wasn't that good. Now the product is excellent. And now we really need to put our, our, our foot on, on the, on the accelerator and, and, and start showing people that we have, we have something really expect We have something really special here. I think it's always had um, two very similar problems. One is the stability of the calendar and the other has been um, whatever we want to call it, broadcasting stream or whatever, getting the eyeballs on it. Because even when um, in season one, when sometimes the racing could occasionally not be so great, it was still exciting. You know, even with the car swaps in and whatever, the actual on-track products generally been good. It's just the number of people seeing it that's been problematic. Yeah, you're you're on you're onto something. It's, it's certainly about the uh, the calendar. When what we'll see in a couple of weeks in in Mexico City is an unbelievable event, and that's been there on the same track for a lot of years, and the crowds are amazing. And, you know, Sam, maybe you could dig this up. But if you go look at because I was watching it on TV, I couldn't believe it. When you watch our race, there's not a single empty seat in the stands. And at the F1 race later in the year, you looked at the stands. There was there were empty seats all over the place. Um, so so I think this is an anecdote that says to what we're what, what, what I'm trying to what I believe, which is you're completely right. The, the if, if we have a, a better calendar it's better for everyone. It's better for the fans at the race, but it's also better for the television uh, or broadcast or, you know, the, 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 the live viewing audience. Um, but, uh, but it just shows what a good product we have that, 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 that that's a like for like it's in the exact same stadium. Um, and, and I think we're drawing bigger crowds than F1 at the stadium, but then we'll look at the eyeball, the global eyeballs, the global eyeballs is, is dwarfing us. So now it's time for us to kind of, you know, take our, uh, you know, I, I'm going to digress for a second, but in the, in the financial crisis, the, there are three major U S uh, auto companies Ford, general motors and, um, and Chrysler, which was owned by Fiat at the time. Um, now it's part of Stellantis, who's our who's our partner. But um, Alan Mulally, who is the CEO of, of Ford, I was speaking to him right right during that time, like uh, early '08, before before the the shit hit the fan. But still, th- things were not looking good. And he was a fairly new CEO. He'd come from Boeing, and he said, it's, "I'm not focused on any of this." They, they had they had bad consumer reports. They didn't have great integrity of product. He said, "All I'm going to do is focus on our product, get our consumer reports uh, and our car and driver ratings up, come up with a great product, and everything will be fine." And I think we're in that position now, where we have an excellent product, and now we need to kind of backfill and put and and and, and get and get the uh, get the viewers and get the calendar. You're exactly right about that. I think I think there's some good points there, Scott. Like, w- when you look at other motorsport series there is always an element of boom and bust. And if you look at the history, the last decade of Formula E, 
there, re- there really hasn't been that. If you take the pandemic out of it, which affected everybody, Formula E generally has been in good health with a lot of manufacturers, a lot of growth, and then obviously it was stymied a little bit by the, the pandemic. But actually, you know, the, the bust of the boom and bust actually came in the first season, didn't it? You know, there's this crisis after three races and it all looked like it was going to fall apart. Once that was out of the out of the way, Formula E has, has gone on this, you know, this build of such a great, all the things Scott mentioned there, all, you know, this great sporting format, great drivers, great teams. But, you know, I share the same concerns. I share, I just share this kind of feeling that it isn't maximising what it is or what it could be. And I think ultimately my question, Scott, here at the end of saying that is the kudos of owning a team. You know, I, I, I've asked a number of people who own teams or a majority owners, or stakeholders within Formula E teams. You know, do you feel that there is kudos in it? I mean, what's your position now after, after you know, four, almost four years of, of being part of Formula E? Do, do you feel that there is still that sort of, that, that uh, value to having a team? Uh, it's a great question, Sam. To me, um, the value, and, and Andrew touched on this earlier, but the value of owning a team is going to be when, when the values of the teams go up. Uh, I, I'm really not interested um, in, uh, like I said, I'm not a motor, I, I didn't come into this from a motorsports fan. I'm obviously a motorsports fan now. And I have, I have a, a t- you know, I, I, I root really hard for our team and, and I'm, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about everything now, but I, I wasn't born this way. Um, but, uh, if this isn't a successful business venture, um, it's irrelevant. All that's irrelevant. Uh, so, so that's first, you know, in my world, um, my kids don't watch the races, <laughs> you know, it's not a big thing in my world. Um, and to me, uh, which is fine. Like I'm not, you know, I'd rather, uh, if, if I want this to be a business, then it's best for me just to focus on trying to make it a business, which is not easy. Do your kids watch any live sport? Uh, yeah. Uh, my, uh, we, we live in Florida now and my, I'm a, I'm a diehard New Yorker. My son came up to me the other day and said, dad, what time is our game on? And I'm like, what are you talking about our game? Like, like, uh, what is what does our mean? He says the the, the Miami Dolphins. I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm not watching the Miami Dolphins. That's your team, you know. So yeah, my kids watch sports. We're uh, we're you know we're we're we're, we're big hockey fans and, and American football fans, and yeah, we watch sports. But uh, meaning that that it's you know it's it, it's not an American sport. I mean, I'm not saying FE is a, is is that big in any place, but um, there's there's it's not on in America. I mean. Uh, CBS Sports Network. It, it's hard for you know, just like I don't know when 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 I hear from from our, our team that you know that it's on this station in France or this station in the UK. I, I don't really know what that means. I kind of kind of know what it means, but CBS Sports Network is. I'm an American sports fan. I I couldn't find CBS Sports Network on my on my cable system, and because it's not like CBS Sports is big, meaning they carry huge sporting events and that's, but, but CBS, so it's not like a sports network uh, that does the sports for the major broadcast channel. The major broadcast channel does all the sports. So CBS sports network is like for oddball sports. Um, and I didn't, I, my cable system in Florida where I live um, uh, most of the time um, doesn't even, it doesn't even have CBS sports net. So it's, it, it's, it's not, it's, and I'm not blaming, I'm, I'm not saying this is an excuse. I'm just saying it's not, it's not, an, it's not in the realm of, of people's, uh, people who I know don't know anything about Formula E. Yeah. That always reminds me of uh, that bear in uh, Dodgeball when it's on uh, Fox Sports 8, <laughs> the option. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, that leads very nicely. And I suspect the answer to my question is because when I was there, I always, hated um having to try to explain to people that formula e was like electric formula one yeah you know it's coming into being a decade old now but does that brand resonate or are you still having to explain to people when you see them what it is and what it means um you know uh 
not too many people ask me, but if I do, I just say it's, it's like formula one with electric cars because now the Amer- there is an Amer- formula one is known in the American audience, at least the American audience that I, you know, that, 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 of people who I run into because drive to survive was so significant here in the States. Um, and then just since drive to survive came out. So when there was this real thirst, all of a sudden you have a race in Miami and you have a race in Las Vegas and Miami is Las Vegas, meaning uh, that, you know, they're thousands of miles away, but there's not a single person who hasn't been to Miami and Las Vegas, meaning yeah. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not going to, uh, I've been around a long time. I've never been to Portland, Oregon in my life. <laughs> you know, you can't find anyone who's never been to Las Vegas and Miami, like multiple times. So these are, you know, the, the it, Formula One you can't avoid in, 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 in the States now. So that's just an easy way for me to explain it. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a good point, actually, just to, to fast track a, a question about Formula E in the, in the States, um, Scott. Obviously, it's hugely important, and we, you know, as you said, it's it's always had a footprint with First Long Beach, a one-off in Miami in season one, which was a pretty fraught event from a promotional and organisational point of view. And then we had these years in in New York at, at Red Hook, which was, you know, a great backdrop, but struggled to make uh, to get significant attention for for Formula E really over that that five-year stretch. And, and then we had this what we think is a stopgap um, fixture in Portland. But I, I hear quite a lot that there is some some decent progress and there's some good possibility of racing in Los Angeles next season. And then there could be other venues as well that are on the horizon. I, just just your opinion on how important racing in the in the States is and, and at least having a, a couple of dates out there. What, what would it mean as a team owner to be to have some, you know, real... Um, real grande sort of um, events over in, in the U.S. Yeah, it, 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 it's – I'm going to give you sort of a nuanced answer um, where at the end of the day, we all work – every single team out there, uh, especially the independent teams like we are, we all are fed uh, – you know, our families are fed by our sponsors – and um, our sponsors, you know, most of them, if not all of them, their largest market is the United States. So they're dying to activate in the United States. Um, and if we didn't activate at all in the United States, um, that would be a problem. Um, because, uh, and, the, and if we activated more, I think it would be better to attract sponsors because whether you're an Italian company or a Chinese company or an Indian company or an American company, it doesn't matter, uh, uh, especially the OEMs. I mean, you know, we have so many OEMs I, uh, and, and we, we, you know, we're, we're not in the, we're, uh, we don't, we're not owned by an OEM, but we have an OEM's uh, uh, title sponsor. The OEM's biggest market is the United States. I mean, maybe not uh, Neo or, well, I guess Neo's not there anymore or, or Mahindra, but basically, you know, if you're Jaguar, you're, or your um, uh, McLaren, or any of these, any of these other uh, Maserati, any of these companies, DS, or maybe not. Uh, you you you've got to be in the United States, so it's really significant. Um, and you know, the United States is a big place with th- with uh, you know three time zones, um, and and a six hour flight between the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, you know, choosing a Northwest place three hours outside of New York, uh, I, I, I think we got to do better, um, than Portland. Um, and another thing about the calendar and, and about, uh, about, but I do think it's critical and I don't think it's critical because we're going to get any more fans, meaning, uh, you know, if there's a race in, in Mexico city at four in the afternoon, Mexico city is right smack in the middle of the, of the U S time zone. So it's in our time zone. This just happens to be, uh, you know, one of our three time zones, but it's not like, so, so television wise, that's a U.S. race. It's not like that matters because we don't have great U S coverage. So it doesn't really matter. It, having U S race isn't going to create a massive U S audience. I mean, it, it, it might eventually, but I don't think Austin did either for years. 
Um, but it was important for the sponsors and it's important to put a flag in the United States since it's such a huge market. So I think we have to do it for our sponsors because it's really hard to get sponsors for both FE and for the, and for the, um, for, for the teams that to, you know, to, to, to not give them the ability to activate in a big way in their biggest market is, is a big mistake. Let me, let me just say something else though, because you mentioned Red Hook, Sam. Red Hook was, is, is great. There are two problems with Red Hook. One is there are only 6,000 seats. So we had a sponsor who wanted to have his office part. You know, it's in the summer too. To, uh, I'll come back to that. You know, that, that's in, in, in New York, and I've lived in New York for 90% of my life. Um, the summer is, is big in New York, it's, and people uh, take it a little easier. And, and you have office parties and you have things like this on, on a Saturday. So he wanted 100 seats. Like, you don't know what we had to do to beg, borrow, and steal to get him general, general grandstand seats because uh, New York was such a small venue. Um, and it was also then, it was also in the summer. So, like, if you had Miami in June, um, if you had Miami in July, no one would be there. Um, if you, so having New York in July – on a weekend, it's just lost. Many New Yorkers are out of town. There's a ton of stuff to do on, on, on the weekends in the summer. Uh, you know, if you had if you had New York maybe in a, in in April or May, you know April or October, uh, you know maybe it would have worked better. So it's it, it, there's a lot of things that go into this, not just not just the venue, but the the actual calendar. I don't think a city matters in in, in the United States, Sam. I don't think it's like New York's a great city. I love it here. I'm here right now. But I don't think it has to be New York or it has to be uh, Los Angeles or it has to be Portland. It just has to be something that works. Mexico City works. um, And and, and if we could have something like that in New York, in the U.S., it would be amazing. And you, you need continuity, of course. I mean, one of the reasons yeah. Mexico has, has become so successful is for the past three seasons, it's been on the same date. And, and ditto Riyadh and the London Excel race is now, you know, only happens at the end of July. And you, you get that continuity and people know that it's it's in town at that weekend of the year. So that's imperative. Um, talking of London, uh, both Andrew and I spent some time with... Uh, Jeff Dodds, who came in in June to, to take up the CEO position, um, Scott. I mean, what, what what's your opinion of Jeff? I mean, everybody I've spoken to has only got pretty pretty good things to say about him. He's he's been in, on board for for almost six months now. How are you How are you looking at his um, initial steps in this uh, this crucial role for Formula E so far? Yeah, then I'm going to be boring uh, because I agree with everything you heard. If, if if it was positive, I think Jeff is 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 amazing. I think he's. Um, I feel completely uh, comfortable um, and enthusiastic to be an owner with Jeff running the show. Yeah, I mean he's he's obviously got a lot of lot of challenges. I think there was. Um a number of things that, that had to be cleared up, obviously, after the last administration. I mean, in, in, in terms of what you're looking for, Scott, we've already talked about the broadcasting um, situation and, and the fact that that needs to be um, improved upon um, pretty quickly. Uh, but but other than that, are, are there certain things that, that you'd like to see uh, in terms of direction of formulary going in the next sort of 12 to 18 months how are you, how are you um how are you feeling about the growth of the championship other than the the sort of the media side of things um yeah i, I mean i i i think i think there are three issues and we've talked about two of them one is um uh, one is the calendar one is the the viewership and i think the other is is is, is just sort of how the ecosystem works and how how you know how everyone plays plays with each other and 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 a communication to where everyone knows where they stand and i think jeff is very pro team uh he's very pro fe um i think for now it might not always be this case but he sees us um it you know in the same uh that 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 we all have the same wants and we all have the same desires and we're not at at odds and, and we're 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 parallel um, and that there's no reason for us to cross. And, and I completely buy into that. Personally, I think the series, um, you know, the, 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 the way the series works, and maybe all series work this way, but American sports don't work this way at all. 
Um, they, all the high level meetings and strategy are with the team principals and not the owners. And, uh, like that never happens in American sports. You never have an NFL meeting with, with the, the head coaches or the general managers. The NFL meetings are with the owners, um, because they, they are the ones who have their money behind this thing. And they really are much more in tune to what's going on. I mean, I guess the problem is when we used to have so many OEMs in it, you have team principals who have bosses, 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 and the CEO of, of uh, Jaguar or the CEO of, of Mercedes or, or, or even, even the CEO of, of Stellantis has a lot of other things like a UAW strike to worry about. Uh, so, but, but there are enough sort of owners of the team, and I think we have much more uh, and, and Jeff is very open. I mean, I can call Jeff anytime and speak to Jeff and, and all the executives at FE. They're, they're very receptive and they help us all the time. And I have nothing but, but, uh, uh, but really just incredible praise for, you know, all, 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 all the Enrique and Henry and Alberto and, and Jeff. I mean, I, uh, Alejandro, I mean, they're all incredible um, to, to us. But at the same time, I, I think that they need a formal, um, um, meeting and, and, and hear the voices of the actual owners. I mean, team principals have enough on their plate. I don't know what they need to hear about the strategy of FE. I like, it just seems like these guys have, have, uh, have crazy jobs. I mean, they, they're CEOs, they're head coaches, they're what we call general managers in, 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 and they're what's called presidents. Like an NBA team or an NFL team has a general manager, a president and a head coach. They're all that, and then they're the CEO of the organization. It's too much. So I think the stuff that they want to tell the TPs, they should be telling the owners and get feedback from the owners. That's a really interesting point, and I, I, I think it's probably something that's more a motorsport thing than it being a European sport thing, because in football or soccer or whatever, it, when they talk about breakaway leagues or when UEFA or ever discussing with them, they discuss it with the owners. Um, I wonder if it goes back, Sam, to the old days when there would only really be Ferrari as an OEM and everyone else were small racing teams and it's just become habit since then. But it's a really interesting point and I think something that's uniquely motorsport. Yeah, maybe the owners were like the Frank Williams. The owners were the TPs. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, we've spoken a, a, a lot about um, off-track stuff and very little about on it. Um, looking back at the season that's passed, I know we're very close to the new season. Uh, I think it's safe to say it was probably the mixedest of mixed bags. Yeah, you know, the, the, the good news is, um, the good news is it, it sucked <laughs> and, and, and we can, and, and everyone on our team would tell you that. And the reason why I say that's good news is because I think, and I could be wrong, our team, it was the original team. I think we were the first team to sign up with Alejandro. I could be wrong on that, but I, I'm pretty sure of that. So we've been in every Formula E race and I think uh, it, through nine seasons, last year would have been our second best finish ever. Um, so you would think after nine years, you have your second best finish that, that it could be good. But the fact that everyone uh, was so disappointed is a good thing. It's because we got the, we turned this thing around and we got a taste of winning. We won five of whatever the number was, 16 or 17 races or 18 races in season eight. Um, we took second in the championship and once you taste winning, uh, and you, uh, and, and you're the type of team that we are hyper competitive, hyper, um, um, you know, yeah, just hyper competitive and hyper hardworking. Um, once you taste uh, victory, you don't, you want to get that taste back. And that's why I say it's a good thing that, you know, that we took sixth in the championship and we were not happy with it. Um, and, and it's more than that. We were no one. It was a tough year for everyone. Um, so that's sort of top down. But, uh, you know, I, we, we came out of Valencia last year testing. And Max uh, Gunter, one of our drivers, I think, was, like, um, was number one on, on like every single time they went out, you know you know, go out for two seconds. He was the fastest go out for two minutes. He was the fastest go out for 20 minutes. He was the fat, whatever they were doing. He was always the fastest. 
And I think we had a new sponsor. We had a new car. We were used to be customers of Mercedes. Now we're, we're with Maserati. And I think we just thought like, oh man, we're, we're really good. And we have a, we have a, we have a hot car and this is going to be an easy year. And then we showed up in Mexico and Mexico city and we stunk and then it didn't get better in Riyadh and it never really got better um, until Indonesia. Um, so it was a terrible start to the year. Uh, you know, we obviously, which we tried to figure it out through the year. We, we got some answers. We had a good, a good second half. Um, not a great second half, but we had, a, I'd say a good, a very good second half. So that's also a positive that, that like we, we could seem to learn on the fly from our mistakes. Um, but we still continued to make too many mistakes and I can't figure it out. Uh, we had tons of crashes. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm hoping it's just was a bad luck year. I mean, I think one of the big surprises for everybody last year, Scott was, um, Edo's struggles. I mean, it was a very difficult season for him. Um, when did it become clear to you and as a team that, that Edo's time probably was coming to an end? It, it just became obvious, I think, to many observers that, that probably a change for both parties was was the order of the day. Um, do, you, do you remember a sort of period of, of, of how that manifested itself? Um, yeah, Edo... Uh, I mean, Edo... It, it, uh, was the heart of our team and he's Edo's a great racer. Um, Edo is a great guy. Edo is uh, forget about racing. He, like you'd want him to work in any organization. He's, he's smart, like one of the smartest guys you'll meet and he's fair minded and everything. So he was, he's, he's amazing to have on our team and he was a real team leader. Um, he'd been with us a long time. Um, and like you said, I, you know, I don't know every, every, you know, everyone has their time. And I think, uh, whatever happened and, you know, it, 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 I think he's at a great place. I mean, he's with, he's with, uh, Nick DeVries, who's, who, uh, was who we wanted him to be with. If you remember, uh, Sam and Andrew la- uh, last year before we, we let Nick out of his contract to, to go race in F1, um, he's, he's got a big manufacturer behind him with a lot of, stability and, and, and resources. And I think, uh, you know, I, I'm certainly rooting for Edo to do great. I, I'm a huge fan of Edo's. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see how he gets on in his, his new challenge there. And, and likewise as well, uh, with, with Jehan, uh, coming as the only rookie of, of the team also, but, uh, as well as surprises, you know, things change in team Scott, um, in, in all kinds of sports. I mean, actually motorsport is one of the, uh, least fast paced in terms of changes. You know, there's plenty of team principles that have been in since, um, since very early on in the championship. Um, James Rossiter's time as a team principal came to an end in, in October and, uh, Jose has been in an interim position, let's call it as, as a TP. Are you expecting Jose to lead the team from the start of the 24 season what's what's the latest on that situation presently yeah well you're right sam uh and and that that's aspirational for us and and we need what you said meaning we need more stability we've had uh this is my our fourth year jose and i uh owning the team and we've had uh, uh four tps we've had uh you know uh nor uh We've had four or five different drivers. We have new drivers every year, a new TP every year. And that's, I don't think that's an exaggeration. So we, we need to build on this stability. Um, and we need to, uh, and it starts from the top. And, um, you know, Susie was great. Jerome was great. Um, they, you know, they, they, uh, they're all doing great in what they're doing now. Um, Jose, listen, Jose's an old friend of mine. Jose, uh, and I've been friends for over 20 years. I think the world of Jose, I'd love Jose to be our team principal forever. Um, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, Jose's got four kids in, in Madrid. He lives in Madrid. He's got his wife in Madrid. And he has a bunch of very profitable businesses that he runs in Madrid. So this is, this is a side gig for him, Sam. But um, we have a lot of people, as you can imagine, um, there aren't a lot of TP jobs out there and there aren't a lot of great TP jobs with the cha- you know, championship team that, that, you know, that has Maserati behind it. So we have our inbox is full 
um, we want to take our time here. And because we have Jose, um, we can. Um, and like I said, we have to stop all this uh, uh, revolving door of team principles. So we can't just rush into a team principal role and feel like, oh, uh, we need to get someone. So that's the beauty of Jose. Jose knows his team very well. Uh, he's not, he knows nothing about car racing and that's an exaggeration, but like, we, you know, team principal, you need a leader and Jose's right now uh, acting as that and, and, and everyone knows Jose, they've known him for years, but Jose's not the story here. It, it's, uh, Jose is, is, is out, but the real story here is we want it, We want what you uh, intimated, Sam. We want stability. We want to find the right team principal who doesn't have other aspirations and just wants to be here um, and, and lead our team into the future for many successful years. And we're not going to make any, we're not, we're, we're going to take our extra time not to make any mistakes. Well, um, been great having you on, Scott, but we can't let you go without making some form of prediction. We're a few weeks away from the start of uh, the next season. If last season sucked, what does this one have to do to not suck? I'd like to be, you know, whereas the season before I would have said I'd like to win, I'd like to be in the top four this year. Um, I'd like to make sure that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to see Porsche and Jaguar take the top four spots. Um, that, that would just enrage me. Um, so someone's got to get in there. Um, and you know, it's going to be us. I hope it's DS too. I hope we win and DS takes second. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, our, our goal is to improve upon last year, which I think it should be easy. I mean, we have, we crashed every race last year and came in sixth place, so we should be fine. I, I'm not just saying this to uh, to flatter Scott and and Lizzie Brooks, who's in the wings listening intently. But uh, we all know you were paid off at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> but but Scott's right in a way. I mean, it would be great to see a, a good splash of blue um, in in the top four consistently. One thing I actually did a I did a poll. I was part of a poll for a German with so some German colleagues, um, eformel.de, who we, uh, you know, we, we're not a habit of promoting uh, other websites, but they're, they're good guys over there. And um, they asked me what my favorite livery is. And I think I've probably said it before, you know, the liveries of the car, I'm, I'm not particularly, I don't hold in high esteem, really. You know, if it um, if it looks aesthetically nice, great, but it's obviously very, um, has very little impact on uh, who's quick or not. But the Maserati uh, blue, I just think is such a, a, a great classic, um, simple but effective livery. You know, it just it just instantly recognisable as the um, as the Maserati MSG car. So uh, yeah, be nice to see them get getting up there. But um, it's going to be tough next year, as, as Scott alluded to. The Jaguars and the Porsches are um, do have uh, do have an all round great package. But let's see. You know, Formula E always surprises, it, doesn't it? Yeah, no, you never know. That's what I love about this. This, uh, well, we have two great, we have two great uh, uh, drivers, and I think Maserati's been working hard on, on get, making it better. And and what, what just I, I I can't end this without saying like Maserati, they're thrilled to be in this, uh, Sam, and 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 they're really you know they're they're they make elite cars. They're really the aesthetic uh, make, uh, maker of that car, and you know. Uh, we, we, we had to go through many iterations of blues before the uh, blue was acceptable to Maserati. So they, they care a ton about this and, and uh, they want to win just as badly as we do. So to have a sponsor who's so, um, you know, who's so competitive and, 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 and driven as we are really uh, it has been a lot of fun for us. Brilliant. Well, I think that's a, a fantastic way to wrap up and uh, we wish you all the best and good luck in uh, delivering on those um, expectations. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Sam. Um, some fascinating insights from Scott there, Sam. Um, really good to uh, to hear from him. And uh, I'd love to have seen some of the shades of blue that they went through in order to, to get that. I agree with you. I think it looks uh, stunning in the, the way it looks at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, they're a really great team to um, to be around. And um, there has been some changes, as we discussed, the uh, 
James Rossiter's the obvious one, but um, there's also been other changes in the team. Cyril Blay, who was um, Alex Lynn's old engineer at Mahindra, is now um, the sort of senior engineer, and he's also engineering Max Gunter as well as he did last season. And I just, you know, Gun- Gunter's a, I, I, we always say he's a dark horse or a bit of an enigma. You know, he never quite puts together a, a, a full season, but has these incredible spikes. And it's just going to be really interesting if he's able to do that this year, because you know when he's on it and when the conditions are right, he's he's nigh on unbeatable. But I just got a feeling that those opportunities are going to be a bit um, fewer and far between this season but let's see you know Max Gunter always surprises us doesn't he um, with some of his performances so yeah going to be really interesting to see how Maseretti get on this season yeah well one of the teams they're going to have to beat is uh, Jaguar and uh, as we segue beautifully into our any other business uh, top of the list there is they've opened a new Formula E HQ did you have a chance to look around it I noticed some people were given a bit of a tour were you one of them I was, yeah, yeah, really nice invite to go and see the new place. The team were literally moving in. I think they'd just been there a couple of days. The drivers, Nick Cassidy and Mitch Evans, were, were there for their first look around the place. Yeah, incredible facility, um, and basically an F1 uh, headquarters but without the wind tunnel of course and and a few other uh, rigs and so forth but very impressive incredible uh, driving the loop simulator remote room operations a big design office um, so yeah great great to look around that interestingly is in Kidlington which is the site of the old TWR um, uh, operation yeah, so it was about I think it's about home of famous jacks yeah yeah, I was expecting Tony Dow to walk through the uh, the doors at one stage. Yeah, I mean, it was it's just nice to have that bit of heritage there. And yeah, I mean, the, the way that they are working with with JLR and actually working with their a lot of their partners like like um, like Dow and uh, Wolfspeed and, and and several others, and the way that they're embedded within the team, I, I was really impressed by that and the attention to detail uh, that they have there. And the capabilities are yeah very impressive. So it was a good day. Plus there was a plus there was a 1988 Le Mans winning uh, Jag with Dumfries, Lammers, and ah. Wallace uh, on the side. So you know that that obviously uh, stirred up the fever considerably as we walked into the place. So yeah, great great morning actually. Are we to read from this that they are all but committed to the next gen then? Well, that was an interesting one, wasn't it? I, I mean that kind of investment and that kind of. Um, sort of laying down of, of of a new home for the team because previously they they were based in uh, in Grove um alongside Williams and, and WAE there so yeah you you'd, you'd have to say that this is a commitment beyond the next couple of seasons uh, gen 4 is coming at the end of 2026 i think um you know they've not publicly stated that they will be part of gen 4 but the um the assumption is that they're in this for the long haul. And of course, at present, Formula E is the only world championship in town, isn't it, from an electric point of view? And and as we know, uh, Jaguar Land Rover has got a pretty much an exclusive um, all-electric future from an automotive point of view. So, yeah, this, this looks to be a considerable, um, a considerable commitment to Formula E and all-electric motorsport in the future. So, yeah, everything, you know, huge positive vibe uh, going around the corridors of, of this new base in Kidlington. So it's good to see. One of the other things that Scott mentioned early on in our chat was um, how Formula One success came from its budget cap. Um, Formula E were looking at something a little bit similar, but not quite. And that was capping the driver salaries. But this appears to have been uh, kicked down the road a little bit. What's what's going on there? Yeah, that's right. They've been looking at implementing a, a driver salary cap Um within the perimeter of the financial regulations which has just come to the end of the first year that auditing is now taking place they submitted the the teams and manufacturers submitted their financial regulation um inputs at the end of november it had been talked about for a while um i think it's personal opinion i think it's a sensible move to have this postponed let's call it I, you know there are no plans in the next couple of seasons till gen 4 i think 
I think. Do we know what level we're talking about capping at? Because I'm just no, I, fascinated by what the what the salaries yeah, might be. Yeah, I mean, I, I I did see some bullet points. Um, they were flashed to me in the uh, Monaco pit lane by some unscrupulous source, um, <laughs> which was nice. But I I honestly uh, didn't see any definitive figures. I mean, generally the salaries in Formula E are assumed to be somewhere. Uh, in the region between a span, let's say, of, of half a million euros to around just under two million euros. I think there yeah, was... it's not Charles Leclerc fifty mil a season money, is it? No, it isn't. It isn't. But but actually, you know, we, pretty much every driver on the grid, um, perhaps bar one this season, but certainly in previous seasons, had been uh, paid to to race, which you, yeah. you know, I think is quite That's amazing. A, it's very unusual, isn't it, for any yeah. series to have that. Um, I mean, the top earners are, I, I hear, around the €2 million Euros mark. Um, I think the average is probably somewhere near the, the, the three-quarters of a million euro yeah, mark, somewhere that around sense. that. But, you know, that's a that's a bloody good whack, isn't it, for 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 a racing driver, for a professional racing driver. And that is without the endorsements, personal endorsements and other things and, and win bonuses and uh, points bonuses that, that are part and parcel of driver's deals as well. The, the big concern was, I think, the fact that other series notably the World Endurance Championship are on the up and are going through a boom period where there are multiple manufacturers involved and there would be a danger if you implemented a, a salary cap that there could be a brain drain, a uh, talent drain let's call it, from Formula E and nobody wants to see that and then of course you know, I think the way that Formula 1 is certainly at the end of next season there's going to be a big shift and a big turnaround in some drivers because you know, I'll, I'll I'll use the phrase. I think there's a, a, a quite a bit of dead wood in Formula Formula One, and it will be even deader by the end of next season, and it will need a refresh. Um, and first time of, ever, no, the same drivers will start the season that finish. I know, incredible, one. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And you know, I w- I would say I'm not going to name names, but I think you know, two, at least two or three of those drivers. Are, are the aforementioned dead wood in my eyes and ultimately they're going to have to come uh, and try and find something else should they need to and, and Formula E might be one of those homes that they, they go to I mean we've seen it in the past with you know Felipe Massa and Esteban Gutierrez briefly and uh, well they that all that worked out yeah you, Sean, <laughs> well the ones that have worked out and the drivers who did make it work Sean Eric Vernon yeah, Sebastian Buemi and, and even yeah. Lucas de Grassi of course um, you know they've made it work really well for themselves and, and, and they've got a, a decent decade long career almost so I, I've got a little anecdote about driver salaries in Formula E oh go on so um, season one ahead of uh, Battersea we did a load of local outreach stuff um, which included taking Sam Bird to do some football training with some kids at Roehampton um, where he grew up and I think he may have played Roehampton FC Yeah, briefly. decent player, Sam. Good player. Oh yeah, very good. Yeah, no, he was good. He had a great touch still as he was around. Anyway, there was a bit of a and a at the end of it and one of these group of kids asked um, Sam how much he earned and he sort of, you know, uh, slightly shyly didn't say it. Alex Ty, who was running um, Virgin at the time so we went, oh, he earns a quarter of a million a year plus bonuses. And one of the kids went, Reem Sterling gets that a week. <laughs> Excellent. A, a nice, uh, <laughs> nice mention of the TIE fighter there who isn't mentioned near enough uh, for us. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he had a leather jacket on, but in my mind he did. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, in other news, um, the most venerable of uh, Formula E circuits, Berlin, is having yet another iteration. It's come a long way since the season one Hall of Hairpins. Um, I think it looks all right from what I've seen of it. Yeah, you, you wrote a bit of a love letter to it, didn't you, in the last episode or the, the episode before Something that. like that. I don't know. Maybe I'd uh, yeah, been listening to too much um, uh, <laughs> mid-70s Bowie or something. <laughs> um, yes, they are going to change the circuit, so they're, they're making it a bit more interesting. I think that, you know it was a lot better than season one, um, which was a bit of a bit of a nightmarish kind of multiple hairpins and and, and all kinds of oh, it was intricate awful. stuff yeah so they've yeah. i think they've got a they had a decent circuit there but yeah why not mix it up a bit they've got a lot of uh, room and space and they've got a lot of uh, possibilities to amend the layout for for the temple half track and yeah i mean the, the start finish straight is going to be a bit further on so where the 
pretty much where the back straight was before. A few more flowing corners, a few more um, regen areas as well. I think they've thought about it quite well, and yeah, you know, it's it, it looks decent. But let's wait until let's wait until May to see how it um, how it can improve the racing potentially. I mean, you know, we've we've had some reasonable races at um at Templehof in the past but um yeah. you know they would have done simulations and there'd have been a lot of thought going into this new 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 uh new layout so yeah why not you know in, in space it's always a track surface there though isn't it that's that's always the yeah that's, that's a good yeah. part of the challenge as well isn't it so you know let's let's not give it you know let's not make the teams and drivers too comfortable on the layout that they know inside out and uh mix it up a bit yeah i think it's a good decision when we do our, our futuristic look back, I don't know what we'll call it, bring back car swaps or something, we'll uh, <laughs> do an episode on how the hell truly got a pole in that season one. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a double take, wasn't it? <laughs> Definitely a double take. Imagine, imagine if it had done it the season after with that um, that, that shed. Oh, my word. That they, yeah. <laughs> that what was it called? I want to call it the Multimatica. It was Motomatica, it was wasn't it? Motomatica. Yeah. No, there's one yeah. for a... a a quiz, formery quiz on a rainy Thursday night or whatever. Yeah, it would be me and you and um, yeah, some of those other fan sites. Anyway, looking forward, Gen Four tenders, some potential surprises. That's what we're hearing. Yeah, it's not been. We we expect it to be confirmed imminently. So by the time this goes out, I'm sure it'll be publicly known. But um, the battery tender is the real interesting point here um it was assumed that it was a, a straight fight between wae the present suppliers of the spec battery and uh, mclaren applied who delivered the gen 2 battery but actually there's a we think a couple of other um let, let's call them outsiders coming up on the rails and one of those is podium advanced technologies which is a company that not many people know but actually nope. i I do. I'm, I'm sure you don't, but I do because they were involved in the Glickenhaus project in ah. uh, the hypercar projects and various other Glickenhaus projects as pretty, well. Pretty, uh, but slow. Yeah, I mean, I actually got a soft spot for Glickenhaus. I thought they did pretty damn well with the um, with what they had at their disposal, budgetary wise. You know, they, they they were there and they occasionally took the fight to Alpine and and Toyota in in twenty one, and and they you know they got a podium at Le Mans. And okay, the opposition wasn't there, but to do that, actually, you know, this was when you put it alongside um, you know some other privateers we've seen in sports cars in the in the recent past. It's it was a it was a decent crack at it. So I've got quite a lot of respect. You said for it's them. better than Vanwall. I I, I um. In, in my position as as also working with the WEC, I, I'm not comfortable going into details on that, Andrew. Thank you, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't want to. Uh, I really don't want to hack off the the good doctor Coles on that one. But no, I think I think they put a really good package together there, and and to get those results was was, was decent. And what I hear about Podium is that they're an extremely ambitious company, and um, they supply the Moto E uh, batteries as well. So they do uh, okay. have yeah. a, a a reasonable track record in supplying spec batteries for, for motorsport i mean it's not confirmed but we hear that they are the favorites to do that in terms of the wow. chassis um what i hear is that there were very few tenders uh, that went into the mix and it is assumed that spark will continue to be the chassis providers there probably with Delara, but again not confirmed and the tires i've heard nothing about the tires again a bit of a presumption that hankook will continue to supply the tires for gen 4 as well but again just to reiterate that isn't confirmed at all so it'd be interesting to see what the fia does divulge in uh, in the next couple of days in a final note you've got phil charles at dsa i'm sure we did that in the last podcast didn't we or is this now a confirmation of something that you that we rumored last time I think we might have alluded to it that, you know, he could be in a, a black and gold shirt. I mean, you know, it doesn't take too much uh, to join the dots there, does it? But, yeah, we, we ran a story um, in, in the last few days about, about Phil Bin um, working for Penske. And we believe that he is he has been hired by Penske rather than the DS element of that operation. Super interesting because he was, you know, he was the guy who called the shots from a, a technical team point of view at Jaguar TCS Racing. And I, I spoke to both James Barkley, the team principal, of, of Jaguar TCS Racing and to Mitch Evans when I visited Kidlington and they um, as you would imagine James had a, a, a reasonably diplomatic viewpoint on, on that whole affair 
but Mitch was as as Mitch is, which is great, was was fairly um, forthright in his opinion that this was a real shock, and actually, you know, they they need to pivot and adjust accordingly to make sure that this great chance that they have of taking a title, their first title in twenty four, isn't isn't lost because of this. And um, I'm sure it won't be because there's a great strength in depth at, at Jaguar. You know, there's there's some very good people. Though we mentioned this in the last podcast, but. DS Penske will be getting an extremely capable, extremely accomplished um, operator with with Phil Charles. And actually, I've also found out just today. So, news that is as fresh as a as a uh, as fresh as a set of uh, handcuffs after a season of uh, Gen. It's probably got about three weeks from recording date there, Sam. So you never know. <laughs> But there's also another appointment at DS Penske, which is Kyle Wilson-Clark, who is Pascal Verlein's engineer. Mm. So he's moving from Porsche to DS Penske. And Kyle, who I've known since he was, you know, he was a kid, which makes me feel old. He was was an engineer at the Chamberlain Lola team at uh, Le Mans back in 2000 and God knows when, 2005 or something ridiculous like that. And Kyle is going to be working for, for, for DS Penske. So, you know, after a very mediocre season last season, um, yeah, they're certainly making moves to try and improve things, whether that can be for next season or it more likely to be for the for the Gen 3 Evo season of 2025, I think, with a long term view. But, um, yeah, that's some that's some interesting news from a, for some of the top teams and, and, and a little bit of, um, should we call it poaching? That's quite an old school yeah, word. Yeah, I think it's a it? statement of intent Why from not? the yeah. S Penske, isn't it? You know, bringing, I think in, so. bringing in these big hires yeah. from. Uh, rival teams um no room for your uh, calendar update here sam with like five weeks to the season we're just we're assuming everything's fine are we well i wouldn't go that far it's formula <laughs> e andrew for goodness sake you know we, we'll probably end up doing a boxing day podcast with a calendar update special won't we no we we may shoehorn for for those um, who might be interested we may shoehorn a little christmasy uh one in with some um some special guests from formula e's new tv talent pool uh which could be quite interesting so we might get a new, uh, one one final 2023 podcast out before well, you, the end you of better the get it done quick right i've got all these christmas lunch invites <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> for it. yeah yeah we'll try and do a sober one shall we for a change <laughs> <laughs> well no. very good stuff um yeah thanks sam and um don't forget to check out the hyphenrace.com for any little bits and pieces that do happen between now and uh, the christmas break although I, I suspect it's all on a little bit of a wind down and um but uh, we've got plenty of other podcasts coming out the formula one guys will be reviewing the season i wonder who might be the driver of the season there sam i don't know it's a mystery um but yes thank you very much for listening and goodbye the athletic